The, um, the subject of our first uh, study, the chapter uh, one of uh, our book, uh, if you've had a chance to read it, is The Cross and Wisdom. The Cross and Wisdom. Now, we take it for granted, don't we, that whenever we go into a Christian church, we see the central symbol of the Christian faith staring us in the face. And it is, of course, the cross. But have you ever thought just how incongruous that is? Just how strange, how odd it must be to people who know nothing about the Christian faith that we have as our central symbol uh, an execution machine from the first century. It is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? that we have the cross as the symbol. Now, we take it for granted. We are familiar with it. We know why it is the symbol. But for others, it must be very strange indeed. And I think that leads us to think about the Christian faith as being uh, an upside-down kind of religion. Um, some of the things that Jesus said just don't seem to be uh, in common sense with um, what we see about in the world today. The Christian faith is an upside-down religion. I, I read a book some years ago, I, I'm sure many of you have read it as well, by Donald Craybill called The Upside-Down Kingdom, uh, where he talks about the values of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus is completely counter-cultural. It is against the way of thinking that we have uh, in, in the world. Uh, the first shall be last. Those who are blessed, that is happy, are the ones who are poor in spirit. It is the humble who shall be exalted. If you want to be truly free, then you have to become slaves of God. Now, all those things, and you can replicate them, you can go to your scriptures and to the scriptures, and you can see time and time again, God inverts the values and the, the thinking of the world. He turns it upside down completely. Now, we, we think to ourselves, and some people say to us, well, if it's not common sense, well, I don't want anything to do with it. But, you know, the Apostle Paul says that it is precisely where the power of Christianity lies, is in its counterculturality, if that's the right word the way in which it does subvert and invert the values of the world. And it is, um, it is countercultural in almost every sense. Uh, I want you to think for a moment about what are the, dr the, the driving forces in our society today. Well, I think, uh, um, and I've probably said this to you, certainly I've said it at All Saints, that the three most powerful driving forces of our society are money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power are, are, are key elements in our society. You just need to look at your newspapers or your Sunday magazines or Saturday magazines. You need to turn on the television or look on the internet, and you will see that those forces are evident everywhere. Money, sex, and power. And, um, and Jesus had some very powerful things to say about each of those. Uh, think about money, for instance. Uh, we look at our world and, uh, uh, and we see that it, is, it dominates it. Yet Jesus says money 
should not become your master. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, it's not to say that money is in itself uh, evil, but it is very, very dangerous. Uh, last Sunday morning in, at All Saints, um, uh, we were looking at the parable of the rich fool. Uh, you know the parable in uh, Luke's gospel. Uh, the, the man who grows his crops and uh, he gets a bumper crop. What does he do? He wants to store up uh, what he's got, this produce. His barns are not big enough. I'll build, tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll store them up. I'll put my feet up. I'll rest. I'll eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy the rest of my life. I can be absolutely comfortable for years to come. And, of course, we know the story, don't we? He forgot that his destiny was not in his hands. His destiny was in the hands of the one who gave him the breath of life and the one who determined the length of his days. And that very night, he died. He wasn't able to enjoy the fruits of his labor. He'd invested his security in his wealth. And God made a mockery of that. Don't let money dominate you because it will snare you. It is good. It can be used for great purposes. It can be used to do enormous good in the world, but it can only be used in that kind of way with hearts which are generous and open. So Jesus says, you know, don't store up for yourselves great wads of wealth, but use it creatively and generously and to do good. Now, that's not the way of the world. You think about some of the things in our newspapers this last week about massive bonuses. You think about billionaires who have not paid tax for 20 years. You think of people who have fractured our economy in the last few years still getting massive bonuses. And there doesn't seem to be a correlation, does there, with the teaching of Jesus. You see, Jesus subverts things. He turns things upside down. Or what about in the area of sex? A great, delightful, wonderful, beautiful gift that God has given to human beings, but to be used in the context of a loving, faithful relationship. And yet, what do we see in our society today? We see sex is cheapened. Uh, we read about... Uh, Teenagers being groomed by unscrupulous people. We read about uh, people in positions of power, like the, the French uh, um, politician, Dominic um, Strauss-Kahn. And it, it repels us. It, it appalls us. Sex is to be used in the service of God. It is a beautiful gift of God. Or what about power? Power is something which is, you know, people strive after in our world. There are people who are unscrupulous in the way in which they pursue power. Uh, my, my children gave me for Christmas uh, a, a DVD set of the, uh, the, the television series House of Cards. I don't know if any of you have seen it. This is the Kevin Spacey one, uh, where it, uh, it's, it's pretty extreme, I have to say, in the terms that somebody who was even prepared to commit murder in order to get to the top of the greasy pole. And yet there are people who do unscrupulous things in order to gain power. Money, sex, and power. They're great drivers in our society. But in all these things, 
Jesus confronts the culture of the world with a different way altogether. It is the way of the kingdom and it is an upside down kingdom that he promotes and he proclaims and which he reigns. Now, nowhere is this more uh, evident than in the symbol of the Christian faith, the symbol of the cross. To the world, the, the cross looks like absolute foolishness, doesn't it? People can't understand it. How is it that a, a symbol of execution can become the symbol of a worldwide faith? It, uh, the cross is a symbol of defeat, of vanquishment, of desolation, of destruction. It is the symbol of all hopes being ended. Just put yourself in the position of the disciples on the evening of Good Friday. How must they have felt? Three years with that man we've spent following him, listening to him. We thought he was the one. And yet, it's all ended in desolation. They must have felt absolutely desolated themselves. And yet, of course, we know the story, don't we? We know that on the third day, God, by his mighty power, raised Jesus again from the pangs of death. The jaws of death could not hold him. But on Good Friday and on Holy Saturday, it looked like death and defeat. Now, what God does in the cross is to do what he always delights in doing, and that is uh, transforming weak and apparently foolish uh, things into instruments of real spiritual power. What was it, the words that uh, Janet read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1? The message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you realize just how fundamental and important this is. Our spiritual life, our spiritual survival depends on the cross of Jesus. It is because Jesus, uniquely Jesus, made atonement for the sins of the whole world on the cross. Now, don't mistake this. Um, some people think of the cross as being a, a great example of self-sacrifice. That Jesus was a, a, was a wonderful example of how we should behave towards other people. Now, it is, it is that. It is an example of sacrifice. But it is more than that. It, it isn't only that. And it isn't even primarily that. What the cross is, is to do something which could not be done by anybody else in the world. That moment in space and time, 2,000 years ago, that Good Friday, between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock, that life that was put to death actually did something of universal significance. And nobody else could have done it because nobody else was the unique son of the living God. Only Jesus could do it. And he did it then. He made atonement for the sins of the whole world. And because of his unique identity as the Son of God, he alone was able to make that sacrifice. What we say in the old prayer book, sufficient sacrifice. He was only sufficient. Nobody else was sufficient to do that. 
He made that sufficient sacrifice. And it is by faith in his blood alone that we are able to receive the forgiveness of our sins and that we are set on a new course, that we begin our life all, again, all over again. We are born again to a new and living hope, born again by God's spirit. But it is only through the cross. It is the only way that we can come to God. And to try and do it in any other way is both impossible and is outrageously dismissive of what God has done. The enormous sacrifice that God has made in reaching out through Jesus Christ. I, I remember when um, I was uh, a vicar in Wales, the archbishop who ordained me 31 years ago, uh, he used to tell the story. It obviously had a great impact on him. But he'd been a wonderful pastor of a little um, market town in uh, the wilds of Cardiganshire, a place called Tregaron. And he had been the, the pastor there for many years, and then he'd been made bishop and then archbishop. And uh, he was visiting an old parishioner in Aberystwyth Hospital, a uh, parishioner who was dying. And uh, he went and at the end of the... At the end of his visit, he went to just touch him on the shoulder, and the parishioner grabbed hold of his pectoral cross, you know, the cross that bishops wear, grabbed hold of it, and he said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Words of um, Augustus Toplady in that famous hymn. He grabbed hold of the cross. And... Uh, uh, Archbishop George Noakes, for, for, for years after, used to quote that as being, that's the only way that we can come to God. It is only through clinging to the cross, having nothing in our hands, no, no merit of our own. Another archbishop, Archbishop William Temple in the 1940s, said very famously that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we need to be saved. We bring ourselves and all our sinfulness before God and we come to him only through Jesus and the cross. The cross transforms everything. Now, Graham Tomlin, in the uh, little interview that he gave, says that uh, he calls his book Looking Through the Cross. We're going to sing a little later on that great uh, hymn of Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Looking at the Cross. And the first two chapters of the book are all about looking at the cross. But the most important thing is that when we receive uh, God's forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we put our faith in Christ and in his blood shed on the cross, we begin to see the world in different uh, ways. We see the world through different eyes. And that's really what the rest of the book explores. How do we look at the world through cross, a cross-centered lens or a cross-centered uh, viewfinder. Now, no one can doubt that the world is in a fix. Uh, I defy anybody to say that the world is, uh, you know, absolutely perfect. Of course, there are plenty of good things in the world which we celebrate and enjoy, yes. But the world is in a bit of a fix, isn't it? Uh, you know, international terrorism, uh, famine on a massive scale. Uh, um, you know, uh, the international economy in crisis, lots of things that are there to, uh, to, to, um, 
to make us feel that we're in a real fix. But what does the world look for in terms of solution? world looks for better education, better medical facilities, more efficient use of resources, throw more money at it, basically, at the bottom line. Now, I'm not saying they're bad things, but the solution that the world, the world proposes are transient solutions and they are mechanistic solutions. They ignore what's really at the heart of the problem, which, of course, is the problem of the human heart. Well, in uh, our Lent course, we're going to be looking at the cross and we're going to be looking through the cross. And in a few moments' time, we're going to go into our groups and we're going to uh, look at the first chapter and see how the, uh, how the cross actually shapes our thinking at the way in which we look at uh, the world around us today.